Also, we uh, managed to collect in donations uh, close to 1 million euros with companies like Eventbrite, Delivery Hero, um, Airbus. As we were speaking to all these companies, it became really clear that this was a persistent problem and it needed to be packaged into one go-to platform, uh, one end-to-end solution, and this is what we've built. Especially this topic, the topic of climate change, is one that requires us uh, people that work in this field to be incredibly knowledgeable and standing behind every single fact, because otherwise you face the opportunity of greenwashing knowingly or unknowingly. I love LinkedIn. I think it's such a powerful platform, like a few hundred paying customers on our platform. 30% have come through LinkedIn. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to Mission First, the podcast to get inspired and to learn from successful entrepreneurs who are building a sustainable future for our planet and its people. I am Gilles Toussaint, your host and the founder of GT Impact, a growth and digital marketing agency working only with companies making a positive difference in this world. Growing a company that aims at having a sustainable impact is not easy. That's why I created Mission First. In each episode, I interview one entrepreneur who has a sustainable mission and who has recently gone through the difficult first years successfully. Together, we discuss their challenges and what they have learned on the way. We go into detail with a specific focus on company culture, leadership, financing, growth, and business strategy. That way, you'll learn hands-on tips on how to build a better future and a successful company too. In this episode, discover how Lubomila Jordanova left her corporate job in fintech to start Plan A as a solopreneur. Lubomila is a very engaged and inspiring entrepreneur who has won a lot of awards the last two years for her work with Plan A and for her impact as an entrepreneur. Together today, we broke down how she turned a wake-up call in 2016 on a beach in Morocco into a company that generated close to 1 million euros in donations for environmental projects. Next, we analyzed step-by-step how she pivoted and transformed successfully that donation platform into a software as a service tool currently used by more than 100 companies to reduce the carbon footprint and to become more sustainable. We talked, among others, about how she bootstrapped the company and her first steps as a solopreneur, how a mission to fight climate change and her passion helped her find enthusiastic collaborators and grow a team of dedicated employees, how she learned enough about data science and climate change to be able to start a data-driven company alone without a scientific background, how the communication strategy and LinkedIn helps them to get 500 applications in two days for their last job offers, how they evaluate company culture fit during the recruiting process, how she built her following and Plan A's following on LinkedIn all organically, without any paid PR or paid advertising, how they keep their employees motivated through continuous training and by making her company fun to work at. So get ready to learn a lot about data-driven product development, pivoting, and communication and recruiting strategy. Without further ado, get your notepad ready and let's start this episode. Hi, welcome to this podcast, Lubomila. Hi, hi Theo, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm really happy and super excited to have the chance to interview you today for two reasons. Like, 
First, because you are an inspiring entrepreneur that I've been following the like the past two years now, and I've seen how much you progressed and how much progress you've made with Plan A from starting it as a solopreneur and growing your team. You won a lot of awards as a CEO, like so, like top 100 people to watch in 2018 in Germany, Forbes 30 under 30 2020. And with your company as well, like the BCG Social Impact Challenge winner, TechCrunch Sustainability Award 2019, just to name a few. And you've recently gone through a pivot from B2C to B2B with your service that I'm really looking forward to analyze with you. And second, because I just love the objective of Plan A, which is 100% aligned with the values of this podcast, of this podcast as you are directly contributing to improving the sustainability of companies of this world. So I can't wait to talk about it. So... How are you? I'm really good. The sun is shining outside, so at least it gives me a peace of mind. Ah, uh, yes, it's so so weird sometimes to have to. We are both in Berlin, and we we have to do this interview remotely. But that's life. So let's start <laughs> with some easy questions and some facts. Could you explain us in a few words what Plan A is doing? Yes. Plan A helps companies calculate, monitor, and reduce their emissions. We have built a software. Um, that analyzes their data, builds for them a sustainability action plan based on their worst performing indicators and also helps them track on a month-by-month basis how they're uh, progressing. Oh, great. So how many employees do you currently have? We are now at 18 uh, people, all based in Berlin. Ah, so you're already way bigger than you, I saw on LinkedIn. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> and can I ask you how much revenue you've made in 2019 and how much you plan to make you know, this year or the following years? In 2019, we made a few hundred Ks. Uh, and this was thanks to uh, some events that we organized, some consulting work that we did. And also uh, with the fact that in December we launched our software. Um, so uh, this kind of helped us have that revenue in 2019. In 2020, we aim for 1 million at the end of the year. Okay, wow, that's a good progress. And um, any um, funding around yet or are you bootstrapped? So far we've been bootstrapped. I uh, cannot talk about what has been happening over the last few weeks because it's not officially announced. Uh, and uh, I would say that at the moment Plan A is financially stable and we have the support of external sources. Okay, and you're profitable already? Well, we have been able to cover on costs for uh, the last few months, but uh, I would say profitability with the growth of our team is something that is not yet uh, possible. Um, but as we are putting all the resources that we're making in back into the business, uh, we're looking f to consider profit as a metric that we want to achieve in the next few months. Okay. So let's start with a more like personal question. Which entrepreneur or CEO or family member or friend has inspired you to become an entrepreneur and, and why? I am uh, really lucky to have two parents that both are now entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom went from uh, a really uh, corporate, like really, really corporate journey for 20 years, uh, uh, then switched to being an entrepreneur. My dad has been an entrepreneur his whole life. 
Um, and I've seen how much excitement there is in having to shape the strategy of a company, having to define uh, the vision, the goals, the values. Uh, so this definitely shaped me a lot. And they have been with me since the beginning of uh, planning in terms of support uh, for business ideas and also advice in general. So I think they definitely have been the biggest influencing factor. Uh There are lots of stuff that I'd like to cover with you today. We might not have the time for everything, so let's see. Uh, but to to start with, uh, I think you you've been through a pivot, and if I got it right, you went through three phases. If that I will try to summarize, it seems like you started like a donation platform or B 2 C, like solely dedicated to environmental causes, and then you you slowly introduced business to to like. Um, being a platform to connect the, the new business to these environmental projects and help them to be more sustainable. And recently, you it seems like you switched completely to a B2B like SaaS software as a service for business to calculate the, the carbon footprint and give them solutions to be more sustainable. Is it like a, do I summarize that correctly? Absolutely. Good research. Uh, we have followed these three steps and it was definitely not a linear journey. Um, we started off with the donation platform and the vision there was that we wanted to help as many environmental organizations as possible that we knew uh, through science, through data, were addressing the biggest environmental issues. This was a successful exercise from the perspective that it helped us build a really big community. We have over 100,000 people on a monthly basis on our website and uh, also we uh, managed to collect in donations uh, close to 1 million euros. Uh, but we quickly learned that this was not a model where you can actually uh, make um, enough money to grow a business, to be able to uh, develop further uh, your business offering uh, because the margins were uh, really low. Uh, so we continued with supporting environmental projects, but more from the planning perspective. We were not proactively pushing other people, uh, individuals to get uh, uh, to support these projects at the moment we do this ourselves uh, on a monthly basis. Um, for the second part, we just kind of, while we were doing all these initiatives for individuals, we started talking to a lot of companies and it was really obvious that businesses wanted to be part of the solution, uh, but they didn't always knew how to uh, act on it. And uh, we worked with really big names uh, for this topic with companies like Eventbrite, Delivery Hero, um, Airbus, and uh, many others. And uh, all of them had so much willingness, but were not necessarily uh, clear on how they can go about it. Uh, and as we were talking to them, we also found out that for some of them, calculating their carbon on a company level was not a topic at all even if the company had thousands of employees. So as we were speaking to all these companies, it became really clear that this was a persistent problem and it needed to be packaged into one go-to platform, uh, one end-to-end -end solution, and this is what we've built. Okay. And so when when you said that you initially you were using the data to, to plan where climate change will hit the hardest and like to, to raise the, like the funding for these, like, environmental projects. And now, how do you use the data that you had collected? How do you use, how, how do you use data right now to, to analyze the sustainability of the, of the companies? 
So Planet since day one has been a science and data-driven company. More than half of the team of Planet is climate data scientists. And uh, why we have decided to go about on addressing uh, the issues that we work with um, has been influenced by the fact that you need to use these facts and all of this research and all the depth of knowledge that is out there uh, especially when it comes to driving uh, sustainability uh, in companies, because uh, a lot of initiatives might have a positive impact on a kind of mindset level. But if you want uh, to be effective also for the planet, also for the environment, you need to be focused on uh, using the uh, the facts. Uh, so how we use it today, uh, so there's a step that maybe uh, was skipped in this uh, analysis of Planet's journey. It was that uh, the first really scientific product that we built was an algorithm that predicts when how climate change will hit the hardest. This is essentially over 300,000 data points that we have used uh related to oceans, forests, wildlife, sustainable living, sustainable energy, and waste management. Um, this was our first work with data that was really powerful, really like strong in terms of us understanding um, how uh, different issues are going to be shaping in the next uh, 20 to 30 years. Um, where, were, the data f- sorry, yeah. where were all the data coming from? Oh, wow. Like we we work with over 60 institutes and data coming from them. We work with data from NASA, from Yale, from ETH Zurich, uh, from Eurostat, from uh, uh, German Watch, uh, from the Agriculture Agency. Uh, it really is like a World Resource Institute. I can continue going on for so long. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, this, why I'm telling you this is because it kind of... Uh, It leads to the software itself. Uh, The software uses a lot of uh, emission level data on a country by country level. We really focus on accuracy and we work with all of the institutes from the individual European Union countries as well as with some US institutes. Uh, And uh, this has obviously added to our uh, data knowledge and data depth. But uh, it kind of, you know, all of these aspects, both the algorithm and also uh, the data related to emissions is what's feeding and will feed into the future, the software itself. Okay. So now as a CEO, I would like to know how much do you, I saw a great video of your head of data, I think you explained how you use the data and uh, how much do you understand about sustainable Development Index, Climate Change Vulnerability as a, as a CEO? All these like complex numbers and, 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 and data. Uh, I am, you know, standing behind the things that I say. And uh, as a CEO, it's my responsibility to be really in-depth informed and also knowledgeable about these things. Um, before starting Plan A and before, you know, settling on a name of a company or, you know, coming up with a concept, I spent close to six months just educating myself about climate change and uh, essentially learning about all these different ways of uh, measuring uh, climate change or these different ways in which uh, you can correlate pollution and climate change. And, uh, It's part of my uh, day-to-day activity to actually speak to clients and uh, be 
the person, the go-to person that answers questions uh, related to this. Uh, because you can't build a credibility for your company by just deciding that this is the topic of the day and you're all of a sudden an expert in the field. Especially this topic, the topic of climate change, is one that requires us uh, people that work in this field to be incredibly knowledgeable and standing behind every single fact, because otherwise you face the opportunity of greenwashing knowingly or unknowingly. So yeah, I would consider myself quite knowledgeable and it is fed on daily basis. I literally, the only thing I read about is climate change. Okay. And like during the, the first six months where you, where, you, where you like did this kind of accelerated master in climate change science, um, <laughs> how, like, where have you learned all of these things? So there was a few uh, reliable sources that I spend a lot of time with. One was the World uh, Resource Institute. For anyone that doesn't know the website, uh, please go. This is goldmine. Uh, it's phenomenal in terms of data, in terms of incredible content. Um, the second thing that really uh, gave me an opportunity to feel comfortable with talking about climate change uh, was actually reading a lot of books. And uh, these were not only books, that are kind of mainstream related to climate change uh, uh, coming from well-known journalists, but also they were uh, kind of going into a bit more depth in terms of like sustainability that would be taught in classes. Uh, I did a few online courses as well uh, from uh, reputable US universities on Coursera and other platforms uh, such as edX is one that I definitely would recommend as well. Um, And the final thing that I did, which was uh, honestly like a massive blessing from my previous education, was that I uh, reached out to some of the people that uh, were working on the topic in my uh, university in London. I, I studied in London School of Economics and uh, LSE has uh, good work on climate change and also human rights and Um, kind of equality, inequality, women's issues. And uh, the more you dig into climate change, the more you find out, find out that all of these issues are somehow connected. Uh, the poorest places on this planet are also the ones that have the, less, the least regard for uh, nature. Um, and also are the ones that uh, have a little understanding of the value of uh, nature It also goes the other way around. The places with a lot of resources actually outsource uh, their uh, consumption in other places or the, the resources for their consumption in other places so that they don't touch their own environment. Um, so, yeah, I used a lot of the resources that are out there online and also a lot of books. Okay, that's, that's very, very impressive. <laughs> so you just said you studied business, finance and economics. And you started to work in London for a fintech company, I think, until 20, like March 2016. And then you launched Plan A in 2017, one year later. Uh, so one of my questions was what, what happened between. Uh, so like apparently you took six months to really dig into climate change science. Um, what Was there something else in between? And was there any key moment, like wake up call to, to start with this particular idea of plan A? How did, how did that happen? So uh, one thing happened in particular uh, in the beginning of my uh, non-fintech journey was that I uh, started exploring building a company with uh, uh, 
a German uh, acquaintance, I would say, because we, we didn't know each other well before uh, spending four to five months uh, on testing uh, if it's going to work out. It was a productivity tool uh, similar from today's perspective to Asana. Uh, mm-hmm. For, um, I would say, uh, reasons of... Uh, different work style. We decided that it was not uh, good to pursue uh, working together. Um, And another thing that happened in the meantime that also was a triggering point for me to also not want to continue with uh, this project was uh, a trip uh, to Morocco. Uh, I have spoken a lot of times about this uh, visit because it really opened my mind and kind of it shocked me a lot. Um, I went to Morocco on a surfing trip and this was essentially um, nothing I would have assumed uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, But it turned out that the places that were most famous for surfing were also the ones that were most polluted. On the first day of the trip, uh, we ended up on a beach with my friends uh, and this beach was covered in plastic. I wasn't allowed in the water because I wasn't enough good uh, for uh, the, the size of the waves uh, <laughs> to be able to uh, stay in the water. So I was just like reading my book and then I kind of stood up and I found myself in this bin. You know, it felt like I was sitting in uh, in the middle of a bin. Uh, and for the next few hours, I ended up just cleaning up uh, the, the beach uh collected a lot of shoes, a lot of construction site material, a lot of plastic bottles that were unfortunately burned, um, which emits even more emissions than just normal plastic bottles. And um, after this, I ended up just kind of having a different sense of being. I went back to London where I was living in that particular point and I all of a sudden started noticing how dirty London was, how it was a bit smelly as well. And uh, this was the moment when I also was starting to have doubts about my uh, collaboration with this guy and also about this project and uh, um, ended up just reading a lot. And uh, at some point I told him that I don't want to pursue the project together uh, and I wanted to focus on working on uh, Plan A uh, And it kind of, you know, uh, it it was so weird because I had this sense of urgency in me that was, people asked me a lot like, oh, but kind of didn't you fear, didn't you have like a a concern that you're going to be working without money and so on. I honestly didn't think about that. Uh, And it was not because I had thousands of like uh, dollars sitting on a bank account that, uh, you know, were a luxury of being able to not think about it. It was more... I was so driven by the idea and uh, I just ended up kind of, you know, continuing for a few months uh, before I actually started thinking about finding resources. <laughs> so is that how all, like most of the people reacted around you when you la- when you launched that idea? Because, uh, you know, I talked to you a bit on, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, and I saw in June 2017 on Facebook, even, even though we're not friends with it, I think it's a public post, you said some months ago I shared with you my plan to start working full-time for sloth, bees, and yeah. seals. Long story short, Plan A is a first donation platform solely dedicated to environmental causes and, and so on. And so you announced the idea of Plan A. Like, how does most of the people around you react? 
Uh, well, keep in mind that in 2017, uh, there was no Fridays for Future. There was no uh, uh, Luisa Neubauer, Greta Thunberg, you know, these uh, heroes that we have at the moment uh, that drive a lot the agenda and the discussion about climate change. Uh, there was barely any discussion about this. And uh, I must say I was living in London at that particular time. Uh, my friends were really supportive. But always with a bit of a question mark. Like, I didn't get anyone saying like, oh, wow, like, this is a bit dumb. You know, why would you give up your well-paid job to uh, work for something that is for hippies? And, you know, because I've gotten this response as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, it took some time for people to actually accept that I'm not doing, I'm not having like a random six months, uh, like, I don't know, uh, crisis or something uh, and uh, there was a bit of a resistance for like a super big excitement it was not like I was announcing that I'm joining the board of directors of like a massive corporate uh, <laughs> but it was definitely like I got a lot of support from my ecosystem people gave me a lot of their time uh, uh, how, how did that happen so like if we want to take it like step by step so Because I think um, I'd like to talk also a bit, you know, about the the first like product development phase, the why of your company, and you know how this has helped you to move that project forward. But if you focus on the very beginning and your decision, I think you decide to go solo. So uh, and and you've boost, bootstrapped everything until now, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh... So how how do you like first of all? Um, Why, uh, for which reason do you, did you decide to be a sole founder? I didn't decide it. It just happened. Uh, it was honestly so difficult to uh, find people that wanted to talk about climate change in that particular moment in London. People were always asking me about, like, what is the business model, but donation platform, you know, you're never going to make money. Uh, do you want to be poor for the rest of your life? Like that kind of stuff. And uh, it really was uh, uh, quite of a convincing process for me to explain to sometimes to people that this is what I wanted to do. I was, I've always been really passionate about wildlife, for example, like I'm obsessed with animals. Like you have no idea how obsessed I am with animals. I find them fascinating. <laughs> And uh, it's, um, it for this first step, I got a lot of support from my community in terms of like getting them to help me with social media sales, like maybe setting up some like uh, a website. Uh. So, so how do you, Sorry to cut you off. How do you proceed on that phase? I would like to really put myself in your shoes as a soul, like as a founder. You have an idea. You have like the. Yeah. Did you already have like the the a clear like picture of like this donation platform from the beginning on? No. Okay. So what what I did is a first step, and I encourage anyone that is you know uh, willing to understand uh, this passion that they have and wants to apply it to the real world to do that as well. Um, what I did was, uh, first of all, I built a model that was correlating uh, the worst uh, environmental issues as per the UN data, because uh, this is publicly available online, uh, versus uh, funding. So there's something, uh, there's like the uh, climate funding uh, policy and also the climate funding uh, resources that you can find online that basically explain how public and private sources are being uh, dedicated to environmental issues. Uh, And it's literally broken down up to the level of a country. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I did was I tried to correlate, uh, well, I did correlate uh, the biggest environmental issues and basically the places where they were based uh, 
and the financial support that these environmental issues were getting. Sadly, what I found out was that there was no positive correlation. So essentially, uh, the biggest environmental issues were unfortunately the ones that were not promoting themselves as uh, such. You know, these places where they, these issues were faced uh, didn't have the financial means to be, you know, always at the forefront and the, at the COP meetings and so on. Um, this was the first step. And then the second step was that I did a 300-person survey uh, that was with people from different companies, the people from different uh, backgrounds and, um, you know, NGO, government, uh, just friends of mine, just to understand what was their mindset with regards to uh, climate change. Like, what, what were they thinking about the issues? Did they feel like they had some personal responsibility within the whole topic? Uh, were they doing anything about it? And what was the way they were supporting, for example, causes? And this was also another kind of shocking uh, experience because it turned out that a lot of people were um, acting on an emotional level when it came to supporting environmental causes, uh, which is totally normal. Uh, but it, the second that really like strong, I, I was honestly really shocked. Like people didn't even want to talk about climate change because the only thing that they uh, knew about climate change was essentially how traumatic any image that you see online is, how traumatic the statistics are. Uh, so they just wanted to shy away from any of these discussions. Uh, so these were the first two steps. I was by myself. I was working from home. Uh, I didn't travel anywhere for six months. Still I, in London? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I basically like, uh, uh, because London is obviously an expensive place. I still had some savings from my uh banking times and also from my uh, previous job in fintech. Uh, so I was able to like get by in terms of uh, eating and, uh, you know, uh, my parents also supported me for six months in terms of paying my rent, um, which was really nice of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I had the space and time to think. Uh, and I just went on to do it by myself because I couldn't find anyone to talk to even about this topic. And and, and what happened after this, sorry, what happens after the, the survey? So you, you got your, your correlation uh, between like the the, the, the the impact of climate change and the, the financial situation these countries or these places have. And this survey about like people being shocked uh, or not willing to talk about climate change because of of the negative, let's say, what communication or emotions it, it, it gives to people. Um, what do you what what do you do next? How, what are the next steps until you you get the first like donation platform uh, online? Mm -hmm. um, what happened was I took the survey results as a starting point for building a website, uh, and this is one lesson that I learned that uh, you should use the wonderful platforms that are out there uh, that give you templates for building a website because <laughs> I ended up not doing that. I ended up putting all my savings into getting a company to build a website and I um, basically ended up being totally uh, overpriced, like overcharged. And uh, this was one lesson learned <laughs> <laughs> from this whole experience. But I ended up building basically a website that... Uh, would capture the attention of people on one cause each month. So the idea was that there was one one cause, one month, uh, one um, 
yeah, one cause, one month uh, kind of setup where uh, each month we would focus on one issue and we would support uh, between one and four organizations. Uh, and uh, the issues were one after the other. For example, we first started with planting trees. The second one was about uh, wildlife. The one after was about uh the rivers of Europe, the one after was about uh, um, lemurs in Madagascar. Um, and it really was like an amazing effort because basically what, uh, uh, and this is the moment when actually it, it's a we. So maybe I'm skipping a few steps. <laughs> <laughs> At that point when we launched, I was actually not by myself anymore. And when I made this announcement in June, uh, Nathan, Nathan, uh, joined me and moved from Paris to Berlin. Your CMO, um, isn't it? He's our CMO. Yeah. Yes, he's uh, he's the man of how words. How did you guys meet, or how 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 did you find him? Uh, through this uh, announcement on uh, social media, uh, I made an announcement. This post uh, became absolutely viral. Like this was at the times when people still uh, used Facebook all the time. Uh, oh, so and you, the announcements I just read before, like about that you were going to work exactly, for, for bees yeah, and yeah, seals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Uh, so I made this announcement and people started tagging other people saying like, hey, you should chat to this person, you should chat to this person. And uh, one of my best friends from uh, LSE times, from my uh, university times, tagged Nathan. And I had met Nathan in uh, Paris in uh, like a few months back uh, for the first time at a festival. Uh, um, and we never chatted afterwards. Uh, so... Obviously, Plan A was a good opportunity to talk again. Okay, and how do you convince him to to join? Especially like at that time, you like you you are like you you are not paying. Are you paying him already, or how how do you do? Because if you are still a solo founder, is he a co-founder or is he a, like how do you do? So. Um... What I skipped basically from the moment when I was doing this research and the survey uh, and uh, was the fact that uh, there was a few months which I literally spent on uh, doing a UX course, doing an online sustainability course, doing uh, courses uh, on uh, actually climate data. And uh, they, these were a few months when I was educating myself and I really spent a lot of time in kind of Investing in myself, investing in the opportunity to build something that was coming out not only passion, but also knowledge. Um, and when I felt comfortable, when there was a website, you know, uh, when there was something that was, uh, you know, being more tangible, uh, I ended up uh, building uh, kind of more confidence in communicating it as well. And uh, this is where this announcement came. This is when how Nathan came in as well. Um, and Nathan was volunteering for the first few months. Uh, and when he moved to Berlin, he actually I started paying him because I managed to get some uh, uh, money through um, through a, a grant program that was uh, existing uh, in uh, in Germany. Uh, in the meantime, I also moved to Germany, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is another step that is really uh, important because I don't think uh, this ecosystem has been so helpful for us to establish ourselves. And uh, um, I, uh, you know, mm, I, I made a lot of radical decisions. So when I decided to set up Plan A, I set up Plan A uh, as a German GmbH. I decided to move from London after living for 10 years in the UK. Uh 
I broke up with my boyfriend. <laughs> I stopped working with uh, uh, this guy. So there was a lot of things that happened one after the other. And, yeah. and how have you financed all of that, if I may ask? Like, for example, like, you know, GmbH is not cheap and like in, 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 in paying Nathan, for example, I'm asking that for the, the people who want to go solo there. What, what, what was the hardest for, for you on, on that side? Like, especially financially, how, how do you manage to do that? And, um, At that time, why do you take the decision to to pay Nathan and not to you know include him as a co-founder and start like having like a sharing equity shares with him? So um, starting from your first question, uh, there's always been like two challenges uh, in terms of building Plan A. Uh, one challenge in the and I mean in the beginning. Now we kind of have learned how to pass through this. Um, The first challenge has been that, uh, as I mentioned, in London, I had a difficulty finding people to bounce off ideas with. And as a solo entrepreneur, I think one of the most important aspects is to surround yourself with people that can feed you with data, context, ideas, feedback. And uh, I didn't have this. I uh, only had this uh, fairly long into the journey, a few months into the journey, uh, The second issue is financing. I'm still, you know, um, in, I'm still uh, kind of concerned about how financing happens for green tech companies. And uh, this is something that is definitely the problem of a lot of entrepreneurs within the impact and also green tech field. Uh, and it, I think it's an issue that we need to speak on an industry level a lot about because there's definitely less opportunities for companies that are, are built with... Uh, purpose embedded into, uh, you know, the shareholder agreement even. Um, what I ended up doing for the game BH was first that we got a grant. The second thing was that I got an angel on board. So Plan A has had since the beginning a really supportive angel uh, investor from London that has been with mm. us, uh, uh, you know, also supporting us a few times, not only once. Uh, And this has been really helpful because, you know, game BH is 25,000 euros, uh, you know, being... Uh, also paying the fees that are associated with this. They're definitely less uh, than they were two years ago. Uh, slowly but surely, the German startup ecosystem is influencing changes on a legislative level. Um, and I decided there was never a discussion with Nathan about be him becoming a co-founder. Uh, in, in the beginning, it felt like basically he was, He needed maybe some time to decide if he's committing uh, because in the beginning he was working from Paris. And I obviously was always telling him that, you know, if this is something he's going to commit to, he would have to move because I'm not the kind of entrepreneur that is like remote first. Uh, I just have a different mentality. Maybe it's a bit of an old school, but like <laughs> I love spending time with my team. I love like us doing stuff, you know, together that have nothing to do with work, like just having, you know, fun and chatting and, you know, being also closer to one another than simply just co-workers. Uh, so it, it, I think it was just a kind of organically how it happened. It was not that I didn't want to have him as a co-founder. I think that if there's any co-founder that I've had, this is definitely Nathan because he's been with me since the first launch of the first thing of the first product uh, that Plan A has ever had. So, uh, you know, uh, We even were joking a few months ago and I was telling him that he just needs to start calling himself a co-founder because it's not, uh, he has equity in the company. It's not like, uh, um, 
you know, he's been there. He's been there for all of it. So it's uh, uh, if it's the title that is missing, he should have it. Uh, it's just that we never spoke about this, to be honest. And how much has your The, the, you 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 are talking about this viral post, for example, and of course there were some people. There are always some people when you decide to follow your passion. It's not like you know you're not like taking a normal five, like eight to five job. There is always a lot of people who are telling you are you crazy. But on the other side, on my side, I also felt that, that there are a lot of people who just follow you, and especially on social media, sometimes I feel like it's it's very easy for the people to just uh, identify themselves to you and to also share and tag others. And uh, and and managing to attract people like Nathan without like a, you know voluntary at the beginning without being able to pay them is something that I, I, I think I think sometimes happen just because you you are so passionate. So what's your experience with how much your your mission and how much like your engagement has helped you to to get people to work with you uh, without you know when you didn't have the finance for, to pay them. Yeah. First of all, thank you. This is really kind thing to say. And I, uh, I really appreciate it in an incredibly humble manner, because for me, uh, what I do is not only my mission, it's a responsibility that I carry. And um, I carry this responsibility on all the levels that I have in my life. I've totally changed my life since I've started working uh, on plan A uh, in the way that I live, in the way that I eat, in the way that I, you know, uh, buy stuff. And um I'm really deeply embedded into what I'm doing and uh, it is something that fills me, makes me feel so happy because I see the results. I see the fact that, you know, we're reducing uh, by 15% the emissions of the companies we have on our platform and, uh, for example, and it, uh, it really is something that I think comes out uh, particularly for this topic. It's really easy to see when someone is not true to the cause. Uh, there's a lot of kind of copycats, if I could call it, that are coming up on the market, not necessarily only of Plan A, of other products. And uh, you just literally need to spend five minutes on uh, a few internet uh, pages to figure out that this is not uh, a project where people are so deeply passionate about what they're doing. And I think what makes my messaging uh, resonate with a lot of people is the fact that I have behind, uh, alongside of me, uh, incredible team that has given up a lot of good opportunities that are incredibly well paid and, uh, you know, uh, just kind of opportunities where they could have grown into a corporate environment and so on uh, to be part of something that is truly changing people's mindsets. Uh, and this really is, it shows, you know, it really takes very little uh, of any uh discussion you have with anyone on the team, with me or the places where I go to speak at, uh, you can ask me about science, you can ask me about wildlife, you can ask me about plan A, you can ask me about anything. And I would be able to tell you something that is kind of fact-driven and is data-driven. And I spend time on educating myself to make sure that I can stand behind this big honorable cause. Like I feel incredibly honored to be able to work on this and to have been given uh, recognition about the fact that I'm working on this. Um, so I honestly take this in the most responsible way. Uh, this for me is not a business. This for me is a responsibility. It is a mission. Uh, and I give my all on daily basis. Uh, 
Uh, and yeah, it, it really is something that I, I've also given up a lot uh, to be able to do, but I'm so honored. Honored is the absolute right word to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can hear that. So we are, you are building this donation-based platform for these projects. Um, Nathan is with you. You have your website online. Um, how do the first like months go and what are the next um, hires that you, that you make for your team? So the next uh, hire for the team was uh, our head of design and our head of data. Uh, Plan A is a company that since day one has been standing out with these two aspects. Uh, so the, uh, the, the holy trinity of uh, content, data and design is kind of what drives Plan A. We've always looked cool. Uh, this is what uh, really is important for us because we know that... Uh, This has to become a mainstream topic and we need to speak to all generations and kind of do it in a, the most modern ways. Uh, the data aspect is kind of at the core of every single decision we make in the company. Uh, so before, before, before that head of data, like were you like in charge of like uh, using the data in, like, uh, in the platform? Uh, there was the platform for the donations didn't uh, uh, use data beyond what's available in research online. So okay. uh, there was, I mean, there was no data just data driven decision making about donations at that point. Ah, it was your research. You had like evaluated where the needs were, and and that's what you used to to start the donation platform. Exactly, absolutely, and it was like. Uh, Uh, not as sophisticated, you know, when you take someone that is coming from a climate data science perspective, um, I can only, you know, uh, be quiet and follow. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> my, my research was just, uh, you know, a pinch of salt in comparison to the sea of salt that uh, uh, Vamsi has been able to bring to the table. Okay, so head of design, head of data, um, and... How, like from there, how, what are the, the big milestones that you have until you, like the point where you are now? Uh, so one million in donations is a milestone. For me, it's something that is really incredible. And I'm so happy that we've been able to support some amazing organizations uh, that we're still in touch with. Uh, another uh, milestone has been uh, certainly the expansion of the team. I think I have the most phenomenal people on the team and we're constantly hiring, like uh, we're now hiring for uh, research, for design, for uh, tech, for business, also for finance. So there's a lot going on at the moment uh, in terms of hiring. Um, another milestone has been uh, us getting some of our biggest clients uh, in the beginning, uh, because obviously until you build credibility, and this is really, I think, and I hope it's useful also for people listening that are building their own businesses at the moment, uh, it's really uh, powerful to use some, you know, well-established brands to establish yourself as a company. This is no magic trick. This is no shocking piece of information, I'm sure, for anyone. But some companies forget this, uh, that there's so much opportunity and options out there that in order for you to be able to stand out, you need to take some kind of stipulate boxes that uh, include this one. How do you decide to go from the donation-based platform to start to include business in that, in, that, uh, in that platform? So our breakthrough in terms of working with companies happened when we decided to organize a water festival. The water festival was in um, 
recognition of the uh, Water Day uh, and essentially uh, we organized a, literally a festival, a seven-day uh, worth of events happening in Berlin in different locations with different company partners. Um, and this is where we started actually understanding that to get a company like Fatia Meister, which is a really cool beer brand in Berlin, or a company like Patagonia to work with you, you need to show that you're willing to scale something. You need to show that, you know, you can put together uh, a big, big event uh, that is even more than one event. For this particular uh, festival, we had over 1,000 attendees within these seven days, um, which was phenomenal because we were just like a baby company in uh, a few months old. Uh, and with all the forces of our design data team uh, and also uh, marketing we were able to put together like a really incredible, uh, I would say, uh, uh, week. This was the first time we started speaking to a lot of companies and we were super excited because we were seeing how positive they were. They gave us a lot of free things. Patagonia didn't charge us for the uh, showing their movie. Um, they basically gave us for the movie night that we organized um, kind of the rights to use the movie. And this was from the L.A. production company, uh, Fatia Meister gave us like hundreds of free beers. Uh, Aqua, Aqua, um, Viva Con Agua gave us a lot of free water. Uh, we also had uh, Osmos, which is an amazing company that makes uh, really cool uh, fizzy and not fizzy drinks uh, made out of apples from their own farm that they have in Germany. Um, so there was kind of a mixed bag of companies and we saw that they actually cared and they wanted to do stuff like that. So we decided to twist the message and basically uh, to start speaking to them and understand, uh, okay, well, mm, we've been doing this for individuals, but what do you think about you giving money to environmental causes? And this is where it started clicking and uh, we started getting some pretty amazing names like Eventbrite, for example, working with us uh, and donating money to environmental causes and supporting uh, local and NGOs. Uh, and, you know, uh, one thing leads to the other. Uh, when you have these events and these moments of uh, discussions with these big companies, you also end up speaking to them about their general concern when it comes to sustainability. And a lot of them express the same kind of concern. They said, um, yeah, we have some policies. Yeah, we have some ideas, but we don't necessarily have a clear strategy on how we're going to do this. Um, and this was the starting point of us starting to think, okay, but we need to optimize this and package this up into one product. And this is where we are today. <laughs> okay, that's fantastic to hear. So the, 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 the 1 million euro at the time was not only by private persons, that was like with the, with the company. companies who were already starting to invest had to donate. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So what was like, what was on that phase as a CEO yourself, what was the, the hardest part in these like decisions? What have you learned during that time? I've had uh, constantly the uh, wish to do more. Um, this is something that is typical for anyone that has this sense of urgency and obviously the beauty of climate change, especially if you're informed about it, is that you have an additional level of sense of urgency. Uh, and 
I've learned to, to start being satisfied with results, uh, which obviously is not coming easy to me. I'm a massive perfectionist and also someone that like constantly make lists of things that I need to do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really, I also work on weekends. I know it's not healthy, but like, it's just uh, these things that uh, maybe are not the most balanced way of uh, dividing uh, personal and professional life. So I am working hard on building some sort of a balance between the two. It's not coming easy to me. Uh, it's definitely been a massive challenge and uh, I've canceled so many things just for plan A and it's totally fine. I mean, I hadn't, I didn't go to some weddings of friends of mine. I hadn't, you know, didn't go on ski trips and so on. And skiing is my biggest passion uh, after climate change and wildlife. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what uh, what has been the biggest challenge is to learn to delegate, to learn to spread my time between personal and professional, um, and also to be uh, more satisfied with the achieved. Um, talking about recruiting, um, I was really like impressed on one of your last posts on LinkedIn when you said um, you posted two job applications and you ask people to stop applying because you had 500 applications in four days. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Like uh, it's just was phenomenal. Uh, so basically we posted uh, two job offers uh, or two job openings. One was a research analyst. So this is someone with climate data uh, uh, science background. And um, this, was one of the positions. And then the second position was WordPress developer. We literally, like, it, I posted it on a Friday. And then I think when I made this post, it was like the Tuesday or something, even in the morning, uh, we already had 400 applications for uh, uh, the uh, for the position uh, of, uh, uh, of research analyst. Uh, and then another 100 for the WordPress developer. Which uh, channel did you use? Like, you, do you mean on, like only on LinkedIn after posting it on LinkedIn, or did you also use other channels? I don't know. We use also Indeed.com, uh, working startups, Berlin startup jobs, and yeah, these four channels. Okay, so which are like some? Most of them are like paying channels. Well, working startups, you can also not pay. Uh, and then, indeed, you can also not pay. But you used, I think, you used the paid one. Mm, I think we paid only for LinkedIn because uh, LinkedIn doesn't allow you to post without paying. So, okay. uh, And obviously, it's like a really nice centralized channel. I love LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and, and so you had 500 applications in four days. Like, Was it? Was it the first the first time this happened? Is there like is there some does something happen uh, compared to the past that that this happened this time or that this this was so successful this time? When was the last time you had posted a job and how many applications did you have? So we get on average on weekly basis between thirty to fifty speculative applications. Uh, these are people that just say, "Hey, I love planning." Uh, Do you have a job? <laughs> uh, and we also get uh, quite a few volunteer applications. Uh, so we're not new to the whole, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, apply for a job without knowing that there's a job uh, set up. We definitely were overwhelmed uh, in a positive way by this last uh, 
two jobs that we posted because it's been a, a few months since we posted a job uh, and a lot of things happened with Plan A since. I think the message now resonates with even more people because it's really clear how the business works. It's really clear how we're making money. Uh, it, it's really clear what kind of skill sets are needed. Uh, so it, it kind of, I think this helps a lot uh, to get this kind of a response. Uh, but we're not new to uh, having uh, people want to work with us. And I think it's just because of the positive and kind of amazingly dedicated attitude that we have to our mission. Yeah, so the mission is a strong incentive for, for, for people in general. Absolutely, absolutely. I, and, uh, really purposeful people come to us and we're really strict with who comes in the company. We do uh, like a, quite a lot of interviews before you can enter planning. That's a perfect jump. I wanted to talk about that next. So what's your strategy for recruiting in terms of interview? Like, for example, how do you check for culture and team fit? And how do you evaluate the skills, for example, when talking about like developers, for example? So uh, the first thing that we look for is how sustainable the person is that is joining. If they have done any work uh, on becoming more sustainable themselves. And uh, it always is really cute because you can see some people being strategic at interviews. They immediately, as they sit down, they put their reusable bottle of water and like, you know, on the table. Uh, so, I mean, I, it, for some it comes natural just because they do it all the time. Uh, this is one of the first things that we do and maybe it doesn't seem super natural because obviously if you come as a developer, you should be mostly concerned with the... Uh, skills that you can bring to the table. Uh, but because we don't want to associate ourselves with any greenwashing activities, we don't also don't want anyone to join the company and then start somehow um, bringing a spirit that is not aligned to how we think about issues. Uh, it is really important for us to check this first. Uh, the second, and how we check for culture as a second step is uh, certainly on uh, getting every single person to speak to uh, everyone on the team. Uh, of course, this is a lot of people to digest because uh, now we're quite a lot, but it's really important because if you're going to be entering a journey that is going to last years or decades, you really need to have the same uh, kind of positive, uh, dedicated attitude that everyone has on the team. Mm, and then uh, the final thing that we do is kind of a more... Uh, I would say unique aspect again to Plan A uh, is we invite these people to come to a Plan A event. Uh, we have uh, between three to four events when we are allowed, because obviously now in COVID <laughs> times we do them online. Um, we invite them to come to a Plan A event. Uh, these events normally uh, gather around 100 to 200 people. Uh, but this is really an environment where you can see that if this person kind of aligns with the messaging, aligns with the language uh, of Plan A. And if they come passionate after the event and say, wow, this was phenomenal, this is really an incredible event, uh, which is actually how we got one of our employees, Tom, to join the company. He started volunteering after one event and uh, the rest is history. He basically volunteered for a few months and then I offered him a full-time position because he was just doing such an incredible job and he's such a smart and... Uh, diligent guy. Um, 
And if all of this actually works out well, you end up getting the job. But it still is, uh, you know, some talking that needs to happen uh, in between. Oh, that's, so that's a very long like interview process. And how where talking about how you evaluate the skills, where does it come in into that 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 whole process? And how do you in do it? In the second step. In the second step, we basically uh, after we've evaluated your. Uh, sustainability commitment level. Uh, we then check your skills. We always do some tests and also give exercises. Uh, but the process is really short. Like we don't want to waste anyone's time. Uh, we basically take between one to two weeks uh, from start to finish uh, to decide if someone should join a team or not. Including like including with the, with the, with the event. Yeah, just because we host so many events, it really is like easy. Uh, There's between three to four events. We either have every single week one event or we have one every two weeks. So there's always opportunities. Mm -hmm. And in terms of rec like recruitment, what has been the, the hardest for you so far? So um, in terms of topics, we've always been spoiled by incredible people coming to Plan A. I cannot speak uh, highly enough of the amazing skill set we have on the team, but also dedication to uh, sustainability. I must say that a trick for us uh, that has really worked is we have recruited a lot of people from the volunteering pool uh, because when you see someone that is passionate about sustainability, that is even willing to dedicate their time without asking you for money, uh, Uh, and without asking you uh, for, you know, they just want to contribute and they can do it like for one hour or two hours. But you see the true passion. Uh, we really don't, you know, uh, waste time to get these people on board. So uh, I would say a challenge maybe has been to uh, kind of make sure that we don't miss on the given opportunities that we have, because there really is a lot that we need to digest on literally weekly basis. And um, have you started already like hiring like indirect employees right now, you know, like uh, an HR or office manager right now? Hmm, office managers. This is a joke for COVID times. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Is, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, HR, we are going to be hiring someone at the end of the summer. Uh, for the moment, I can manage myself. I uh, am doing this uh, with the help of other people on the team as well. Uh, so it's okay. But uh, I, after we pass the 25-person mark, then I'm going to get uh, someone to help as well because I have seen how important HR is. And, uh, yeah, definitely we're getting someone, but that's uh, for for Q3, uh, the beginning. Q3. And I saw on, your, on these two job ads, I saw, I've looked at the benefits that you offer um, and I was positively surprised to see that you offer an access to masterclass. How did you come up with that idea? Uh, my team is really curious. So the people constantly give feedback and uh, we have a really open culture where you literally like, if you are unhappy with something, you are kind of, encouraged to speak about it and clear up the issue immediately because we just don't want to leave any bad energy lying around. Uh, so uh, when it comes to the level of curiosity, uh, what I always ask at feedback sessions, which we do uh, fairly often in a formal and informal level, uh, was that 
every single person on the team wanted to further educate themselves. Uh, and sometimes it's about project management. Sometimes it's about uh, acquiring skills uh, that are totally unrelated to your topic. Uh, for example, Scarlett, that is our head of design, is now doing a course related to lightning, lightning and like, uh, like really topics that could be and could not be immediately applied to the activities of Plan A. Um, and I found Masterclass's content like really powerful, not only that it comes from people that are influential in their particular topics, uh, um, like famous Italian chefs and also uh, people like Natalie Portman teaching you acting and also like people from the FBI teaching you uh, on negotiating. Uh, oh, that one is amazing. But it yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Like I was like so uh, so happy to watch it. Chris Voss is like such a, a powerful man. Like he really like I can imagine, I can feel how the moment when he was sitting in front of someone negotiating hostages and uh, just he just do whatever he says. Like he just feels like such a powerful uh, influence. Have, and, you, have uh, you read his book? I I started it, but I haven't finished it yet. I literally started it like a few days ago. Uh, so you're catching me uh, at the point of time when I can give feedback <laughs> maybe in a week, uh, but not today. Did you like it? I loved it. That's like I mean, I, I loved the book. It was really like a, a Bible for me. Uh, it helped me a lot to negotiate for, for like a, a lot of various situations. So uh, I really liked it. And I also, I, I really like that he's, he's a storyteller. So like, because every chapter, almost every chapter starts with a, like a story about his FBI um, negotiation, like uh, stories. So it really, it's, 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 it's a, it's a page turner, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, uh, that makes me even more exciting about Easter weekend. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I would say masterclass for me was, you know, you said it, uh, it's just, if there is an equivalent of page turner on a, a masterclass level, I felt like from the trailers that I watched and also from the trial that I did on the platform, I was just like, my team is going to love this. So I just gave them all access to the platform. And um, it's really funny because you can see how uh, the different interests are uh, also like visible uh, in terms of the discussions we've had because some people have went on to learning about fashion, other people that went on learning about creativity. I have been doing the cooking uh, course. <laughs> uh, and there's some other people doing like I would, the other one that is by the founder of Spanx. So it's really, it's really cool. How um, you said that the people of your team really like to, to learn. Our, at ResearchGate, where I used to work, for example, we had some ad academy where we would like every week we would have internal meetings where somebody would present they um, like something about advertising or marketing and we had amazing people from everywhere doing that so we would learn a lot do, do, do you have you set up something similar to to plan a to like to have people to learn you know between themselves yeah uh, it's funny you ask that because we literally came out a few weeks ago from uh BCG social impact uh, competition win. Uh, what this competition gave us as an opportunity was for two months to work with uh, 10 BCG and BCG digital ventures employees, which was a phenomenal opportunity. To, they basically wanted to set us up for scale, uh, set us up for uh, becoming a huge company. So the, these employees um, are for you? 
they work with you? Yeah, yeah, for two months. For two months, we had 12, of, uh, uh, 12 uh, 10 full-time employees and two uh, that were not full-time uh, helping us on building Plan A uh, and literally like uh, defining uh, our hiring strategy, defining uh, how we're going to do sales, how we're going to do uh, product and just phenomenal. Like honestly, such support. Uh, I cannot speak uh, highly enough of the phenomenal team that uh, not only was presented to us within these like 12 people, but also like just the amazing people that BCG and BCG DV are. Um, and what they introduced to Plan A, which was kind of a three-month uh, process that now is kind of being kept, is um, sessions where everyone gets to uh, do uh, kind of a one-hour learning. Uh, and it's basically, it really doesn't have anything to do with work. It, it should have uh, to do with what you're good at. Uh, for example, I did a course on pitching and public speaking uh, Someone else on the team did a course on uh, bread making. Uh, someone else did a course on uh, event organizing. Uh, another person did a course on um, building decision making uh, processes into your uh, way of working. So really like a different spectrum of uh, knowledge. Uh, so yeah, we do that and we do it in a, uh, in a fun manner. It's not only about work, but it's also about uh, things that you're passionate about. That's great. And that's weekly. Yes. Okay, great. I saw when I was like Googling your name, uh, on the second page of Google, what came up was your personal Spotify playlist. And then I saw, <laughs> I saw on your website, on Plan A website, that you have a list that you have a link to Spotify and you have a list of 23 Spotify playlists named after some funny, you know, climate or animal topics. What's the strategy yes. behind that? <laughs> uh, we're a super funny company, you know, we're like uh, we just come up with ideas and we do stuff like I, uh, I can list you so many things that we have taken off the ground and they're still alive and uh, they're just contributing to this colorfulness of the company that uh, makes me so, so happy and proud that uh, we've built what we've built. Uh, The Spotify playlist came out as an initiative of Nathan. Uh, Nathan is uh, someone uh, that not only can play uh, five instruments, uh, musical instruments, but also speaks five languages, is also uh, lived in places like Brazil uh, and uh, also has uh, started doing some DJing uh, on the side, like obviously just bought basically, he got as a gift from friends of his uh, Uh, some equipment. Uh, so he's been doing this only at parties for us, not for uh, <laughs> external people. Um, so Nathan decided that it's really, uh, music is really important. Music should be part of uh, Planet's culture. Uh, and what every single person uh, on the team uh, is asked uh, when they join the team is to uh, create their playlist. Uh, it doesn't need to be related to their own um nationality, uh, but it's more like share what music you're passionate about. My playlist is about boogie. Uh, I, I love uh, music that gets you dancing. Uh, uh, we have someone that is from uh, South Africa on the team. He created an African playlist. Uh, we have a massive jazz fan on the team, so he created a jazz playlist. So really like uh, kind of uh, showing the culture of Plan A and uh, uh 
adding another notch of uh, fun uh, that is basically what this company is about because we're really positive and happy people. So it comes out at, uh, from many, many places. So what would you say, what would you tell to like, it's really funny to hear that from a CEO because I hear so many CEOs focus so much on ROI and, you know, so because here, what would you say these playlists bring to your, your company? Return on investment is in this particular playlist, the fact that I uh, have never had a single day of doubt in my team. We've gone through a lot of changes. We've gone through a lot of growth. We've gone through a lot of popularity for the company, but the true soul of the company and this strength of belief in the purpose and alignment to this mission has never gone anywhere away from where it is. Uh, yes, we are a company driven by a business model, uh, but we also are first and foremost a company that is driven by uh, a responsibility to the planet. Uh, so the return on investment of this playlist is that I have a team that is happy, uh, a team that is incredibly dedicated. And when they're creating each one of them a playlist, they know that they, uh, you know, part of something that also understands that a human being is not only their work, not only the emails that they send, not only the results that they show uh, in terms of sales and, you know, growth, uh, but they're also people that have a heart and a soul that is fed by, you know, being recognized for these different aspects to them that are not related to return on investment in the monetary shape and form. That's great to hear. It's like a... When we, when we say that we, we need to have new KPIs to evaluate, you know, climate change or like, let's say, the monetary value of the, of, of the, of the, the countries in general and not only like economics KPI. Um, so that's great to hear that from a CEO. Talking about um, your personal branding and LinkedIn, I see you have like 4,530 followers on your personal page and 1,630 on Plan A, and I think that's pretty good. And especially as a company page, when I checked this week, Plan A was at 1,708, like almost 1,800. So it was 200 more followers in a few days. That's really impressive for me. So how, how much do you think, like, how have you managed personal branding versus like, company branding and how much has LinkedIn, what's your strategy on LinkedIn with that? So behind Plan A, there's never been PR, there's never been paid marketing. We actually have grown organic fully, absolutely, uh, since day one. And uh, I think we go back to where we started, uh, which is essentially this like truth and dedication to the cause that we have. People can read through the lines, read between the lines really well. Um, I don't think it takes a lot to recognize that we are true that we're not doing any greenwashing, that we're not talking about uh, things that we don't understand, uh, that we really deeply care. Uh, and how I've built this whole following uh, has happened. Um, honestly, I don't even know how it happened. I haven't done any effort to get all these people uh, to follow me. Uh, I get tens of thousands, like literally, it's ridiculous, like so many requests on LinkedIn for connections. Uh, And it's really nice because I think uh, people are starting to hear a lot more, uh, not only in Europe, but also in the U.S. about uh, Plan A. Um, so 
I just share the stuff that I know. Uh, I just share things that I think would be useful for people and people resonate with this because I'm not telling like stories of like, hey, look at me, I'm like, you know, uh, um, doing this and so on. Uh, and the same happens for events. Like I, I, when I go to speak, one of the main reasons why people tell me that they've decided to invite me is because I'm incredibly practical and uh, really open and straightforward in terms of the things that I speak about. I don't sugarcoat things. Um, and also I try to be as clear as possible in my messaging so that people that are not necessarily informed about climate change would be able to connect themselves with the issues. Um, so this is why people invite me to speak at the events. And I really, uh, on, I'm super happy and honored to be able to join these discussions because uh, it gives an opportunity to speak about Plan A, um, in terms of planning, LinkedIn actually is already one, over 1,800. We get a lot of followers over the last few months, I think, because it's, you know, LinkedIn is the platform where you speak about business activities and uh, it's just happening. Like, it's not something we're pushing in any way. Uh, there's no ads. There's no, uh, you know, PR agency. Could you have an idea of how many clients you are getting from LinkedIn that, you know, called that you did, that you didn't know and just reach out to you via LinkedIn? Because I saw on your, uh, especially on LinkedIn, I saw your, on your about uh, section on LinkedIn, you are saying, okay, message me, message me if you, if you are interested into uh, doing business with us. Uh, I get a lot of uh, personal messages that are uh, essentially uh, coming from people that have either recently learned about planning activities or have known me from before and are now ready to speak about sustainability because their company is also ready to speak about this. Um, so I would say uh, probably like I get to uh, 20 to 30 on a daily basis. It's quite a lot. Uh, oh, wow. They just come to asking like... Uh, oh, What can we do? Can we speak? Can we chat? And so on. Uh, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, in terms of uh, how many clients we have gotten from this, I think now we have like a few hundred paying customers on our platform. Um, I would say that uh, uh, like 30% have come through LinkedIn. Um, Oof, and this is number. kind of, you know... Yeah, yeah. I, I love LinkedIn. I think it's such a powerful platform because people use it to speak about useful stuff. Well, if they know what they're talking about, but like, uh, you know, it's it's really powerful, I think, as a platform. And it's really, uh, I think, engaging because now we need like a lot of knowledge sharing in more communities. And I think it's really powerful to have this platform and kind of be uh, connected to it in a good way. And I'm so happy that we are getting recognized there. That's amazing to hear. I also believe that like LinkedIn is, is really organic. The organic reach right now is, is just awesome. So um, that's that's great to hear uh, to your confirmation about that. Um, and that's great that you're speaking. You mentioned the fact that you're speaking a lot of events. Um, my last question before the bonus questions would be um, first to give you some some references uh, of our context. You said as well that like sustainability is a topic that can move people easily and uh, you are apparently very passionate about wildlife. And uh, I have a personal question about that because I totally understand what you mean because I'm myself super passionate about wild animals. Um, I lived one of the most beautiful and probably like one of the saddest experiences of my life at the same time. 
when I went to Sumatra in Indonesia in Indonesia in 2013. And to be honest, I remember like crying twice. Like I wanted to see the wild orangutans in the in the rainforest, so not in some kind of sanctuary, you know, at the the border of the forest, but really into the wild. So I spent two days traveling in like horrible conditions before arriving in the in the middle of nowhere, and we went for a three day uh, hike. Uh, to search for these orangutans, and uh, we had a like very good guide. We spotted twenty three of them, from you know small babies to the big male, and sometimes close like to two meters away from me. And uh, one time, I saw that beautiful mum uh, once with the, with her baby, who stopped for a few seconds and just looked at me in the eyes for a few seconds. And these like monkeys can be so expressive. And I remember having like. Tears of joy at, at that time running on my cheeks because of the chance I had to see them, but also at the same time, just right after, I, I was I just realized that my children won't probably have the chance to see them in, in that environment because you know, like I went through miles and miles of palm oil plantations. Companies are removing rainforests there with with the government giving them permits or closing their eyes thanks to bribery. That's completely devastating. And when I tried to explain that to the people around me when I came back, I experienced two things that were equally difficult. The first one, it's it's very hard to convey what, what I really felt when, you know, people have not been there. And the second, it's very hard as well to control your own emotion. I get moved a lot. So here comes my question. When when, yeah. when your mission and, and some of your projects you support with Plan A are so close to your heart and you know you can easily move people and be moved as well, how much do you try to convey that, like these feelings as a CEO? And in other words, how much do you pull on that emotional string and how much should CEOs building projects like you are doing uh, use or avoid that in their communication? This is a really powerful question and uh, I'm, I'm honestly moved by your story because I can resonate a lot with it. I was actually in uh, Indonesia, uh, in Borneo, um, and... The orangutans of Borneo are in the same uh, setup as, uh, um, you know, uh, the ones you were speaking about. And they're basically, together with the gibbons, also facing a lot of uh, challenges. And there's very few left of them because of deforestation. And the government is doing very little to protect the uh, the land. And um, I have so much respect for nature. I honestly have... I cannot think of anything else on this planet that I have so much, uh, you know, love for and kind of deep wish to be aligned with. Uh, what I mean by this is that uh, nature is so intelligent, it's so clever, and uh, wildlife is a good representation of this. Uh, by the way, everything runs in a nice uh, correlation with one another, and um I think it's really important to speak about this uh, and to uh, communicate uh, these uh, perfections in a respectful manner. Uh, I focus on the facts. Uh, for me, what really matters is that I get people to do stuff. Uh, and when I say this, it's every single, you can analyze all my LinkedIn posts. Every single post that I have is action-driven. I don't have a single post that just says, oh, an article or like, you know, here is the latest thing. It's always about like engaging people and getting people to uh, learn about these topics. Uh, I 
would say that I don't play on the emotional part because I uh, am super emotional myself. So things come naturally, unfortunately. I've had like cases when I actually have cried on stage and, you know, I've been uh, in situations where I've been recorded on a podcast and it was just like really like close to tears. And um, it it really cannot... Uh, Honestly, when I was educating myself for the first six months of Plan A, I, I spent so much time, like, literally crying because until you have to digest all the stuff that we have done, uh, all the negative impacts that we have on this planet and the disregard that we've had for so many years, it just is mind-blowing, you know? It's mind-blowing to think of what the fashion industry has uh, unfortunately built itself into being. It's really sad to see how the fossil industry has done it's really sad to see how deeply embedded plastic is in our way of living. And these are things that now have become commodity. They're just like, you know, part of our living and we don't even think about them. Uh, and when I speak about this, I get always really passionate because I truly kind of am a bit disgusted by how it's possible for us to close our eyes for so long. So um, I don't use it as a way of selling to someone. Uh, when I do business, I do business, but... If I have to tell someone a story, I would always tell the story of an animal. I would always tell the story of, uh, you know, someone that has gone through the journey of understanding for themselves what actually matters. And uh, what actually matters is for us to understand that we're not managing this planet. Uh, we're not managing its resources. It's, we're actually part of a whole ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, it's, emotions come in play because you become powerless sometimes. Uh, uh, and you cannot manage yourself anymore because you're sad. But uh, I always get back to the place of, you know, where this planet start from. And, you know, I can organize myself to stop crying, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, I have like three small bonus questions that I would like to ask you. Um, the first one would be, what's, what's the best advice you've been given as an entrepreneur? The best advice I've been given as an entrepreneur is you first. Um, I think sometimes we end up in this uh, vicious circle of analyzing competition and kind of, you know, thinking of who's out there, how much money do they have. Uh, and what I think it's really important when I say this thing, you first, and what, how it has been presented to me so that it resonates with me a lot, is the idea that... Uh, If you have a passion about something, uh, start digging uh, and focusing on this particular topic because you, on the first place, are going to find people that are passionate as well and then they can become your partners, your collaborators, your co-founders. As a second step, focus on, uh, you know, you first in terms of, you know, the knowledge that you have and then you can kind of understand what skill sets are missing on your team, uh, what skill sets are missing in terms of partners um, and the final you first kind of concept for me that has been really powerful is uh, finding this possibility to look for uh, solutions in terms of your own network, in terms of your own, you know, knowledge space and knowledge domain. Uh, because we often forget when we're so deeply embedded into the journey of building a company uh, in actually having to build the stuff ourselves and also like learning. But we know all people. We all know like so many uh, people with capacity, skills, knowledge, passion, influence that can be of help and can just, you know, 
we just reach out to them. Uh, so you first has been really like uh, at the back of my mind a lot, uh, making sure that I'm always aligned back to this passion that I have, making sure that I'm aligned to uh, these people that I want to associate myself with rather than focusing on the ones that I don't want to associate myself with because they don't have the same values. Um, and obviously like tapping into the skill sets that I myself have. Oh, thank you very much. I never heard about this you first concept. So that's, that's really helpful. Um, what is your favorite interview question? Yeah. Um, I think people forget to ask, uh, about what it matters to be switching from just an idea to building a company, uh, and how uh, this shifted you as a person. Uh, I think all of us evolve on a daily basis and we become new, hopefully better uh, people. Uh, and Plan A has changed my whole life. And I, I know that for some people, probably like their company is an item or it's like an entity or it's like a legal uh virtual, uh, non, non-tangible uh, existence. But uh, for me, Plan A is actually a living organism. And I'm, uh, I, I, we were calling it a baby in the beginning with Nathan. Uh, and then we stopped because it was not applicable anymore. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I, this is the question that I don't get to be asked a lot. And I love to say that I'm super grateful for Plan A to have kind of come as an idea in my life that now turned into something a lot bigger than me because uh, it's a legacy. It's something that I can live uh, and be lived kind of after me. It will stay and it will be there, hopefully, to spread good messages and uh, make companies even more sustainable. Um The very last question, then, and it's you already mentioned it before, so I'm happy to... To, to finish with that one, um, you said it was very hard for you to find a good work-life balance. So do you have a tip for uh, entrepreneurs on how to have a better like work-life balance? So laugh. This is the, mo- like, honestly, the most powerful thing that you can do with your day uh, is just to laugh. Uh, if you watch videos, if you like to go outside and like do a laughing yoga session, which does exist for those of you that don't know. Uh, If you want to do a meditation that is for happiness, like just focus on being happy. I think, you know, this is the one thing that has been able to help me. I stopped doing yoga for one year when I was like the toughest times for plan A, when we needed to get a lot of things off the ground. And I could feel it because my whole body was like unhappy and I was like not feeling super energetic sometimes because, you know, when you work until 3 a.m. and then you wake up at 7 on the next day to continue like sitting on the same desk and it just really doesn't work for anyone and any, you know. Um, And what has saved me through this time has been the fact that I've laughed a lot. I have the funniest team, like everyone has a sense of humor on the planet team Uh, and Uh, it really has been, uh, now I'm lucky to have people in my life that make me so happy and just like make me laugh a lot and um, just, yeah. So for anyone that needs to find a balance, like make sure you spend at least half an hour to one hour a day laughing. <laughs> do you have a funny, like, do you have a way to find if people are funny in uh, doing your interview process? 
<laughs> uh, this is a funny one. Uh, well, what I normally do is like I, uh, I kind of, uh, I have a lot of, uh, I don't find it difficult to make fun of myself. And I think it's really important to know that there's limitations to your capacities. And, you know, sometimes you can do something, sometimes you cannot. So what I normally like do in interviews in terms of like I, my immediate wish when I'm speaking to someone is to make them laugh. Uh, nowadays, how we do the interviews is that we speak about COVID. This is unfortunately, you know, um, I speak about the fact that, you know, it would have been awesome if we could see ourselves 3D and like, you know, this kind of silly things that you would say, but uh, more uh, kind of laughing about the fact that uh, onboarding someone that is, you know, only been in your team in a remote format is something funny. It's something that is really strange to us. We're not familiar to it. So, uh How we've interviewed these people is that we made sure that within the first like few minutes, they have to start laughing about something, you know, to make sure that. And this is not about being funny. It's about having a positive uh, alignment to reality. Uh, COVID is not something that is funny, but we have to make the most of the situation that we have. Like I've started cleaning my house uh, quite often now, <laughs> you know, the defining new types of uh, activities that you normally don't have. And just finding the positivity in a situation that is really challenging um, and also finding positivity when it comes to the interviews in climate change, because for us, it's about empowering people to be part of a journey that is like a long-term commitment. It's not a one-off thing that you just get in and then, you know, in one year it's going to be done. We need to like clean up the mess that has been built in decades. So uh, having this kind of mindset is super important to have on the team. So We always make sure that during the interview process, we get these people to laugh really quickly. If they don't do that, then maybe they're shy. They don't feel comfortable. We continue pushing and then it always works. That's great. <laughs> so, Lubomila, thank you so much for your time today uh, and your like, invaluable tips and sharing your experience. I've learned a lot. Um, I I have nothing else to say except that I'd like to wish you all the best with Plan A. You have a fantastic mission. So if companies want to improve the sustainability, I can already think about a few that a few ones that I will like, you know, introduce to you. Uh, like uh, Retrace, for example, you talk, we're talking about the fashion industry. This is a fantastic company that is like helping like, the fashion industry to be more transparent. Uh, and I'm working with uh, as well. So I will like connect them with you. And for anyone who wants to like join, uh, by join you on your mission to to be more sustainable and to make your company more sustainable, uh, check Plan A. And uh, thank you very much again for your time. And I wish you all the best and have a nice evening. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat to you. I really like your positive mission, and I hope more people uh, start businesses because of your podcast. Thank you very much, Bomila. Have a nice evening. If you like this podcast, there are two things you can do that would mean the world to me. The first thing is to sign up for the podcast newsletter. That way you will be notified of the new episodes, but you will also get a summary of the learnings at the end of every season. Plus, for each episode, you will get the resources and the list of do's and don'ts that every guest shares with me. And finally, you will also get the opportunity to ask our future guests one question in advance. You can sign up for this newsletter on gtimpact.com. The second thing you can do to be super helpful is to recommend this podcast. For that, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts 
and share the podcast with your friends, other entrepreneurs, and people trying to build a sustainable future. That way we can all learn together and work on a brighter future for us, our children, and our planet. Thank you very much and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day.